Church, if you are anything like me, then you want to grow in your walk with Christ. You want to grow in your spiritual journey to become more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to love Jesus with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, as we looked at last week. But it's hard. Pride gets in the way. Sin gets in the way. Left to ourselves, in fact, we would succumb to the temptation of sin time and time and time again. But the good news for us is that we are not left to ourselves. We are not left alone. The Word of God teaches that the Spirit of God is with us as believers in Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus, then the Spirit of God is residing in you. If you are a believer, then you are not alone. God is with you. And not only is the Spirit of the Almighty God with the people of God, but God has also given us the gift of each other. God has given us the gift of the church. This is sort of similar to, uh, say, a mother who wants to teach her baby not to, to touch the electrical outlets or to open the cabinets. And even so, even after telling the child time and time again, don't do this, no, this is off limits, the, the parent still takes steps to secure the cabinets and to plug up the outlets, knowing that there will be times when the child disobeys. And likewise, God has set up some helps for our own failures. And one of the greatest helps that He has given to us as His people is the gift of each other. He has given us the church. So we're going to look at the church, a New Testament picture of the church this morning from Ephesians chapter 4. And let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 11, as we continue a message series this morning titled, Be the Church, looking at some core truths, some foundational truths of what it means to be part of Christ's church. In fact, two weeks ago, we looked at what it means to believe, the importance of believing the message of the gospel, of believing in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then last week, we looked at what it means to, to be in worship, To be in worship of God, not only individually, but collectively as we gather as a body of believers. And then this morning, we're going to look at what it means to belong. What does it mean to be a part, to belong to Christ's church and to play a role in it? And God gives us a picture of this. He communicates with us through His Word on this very subject. So, Let's turn our attention to see what God has to say about the church. So as you find your way to Ephesians chapter 4, let me invite you to stand with me uh, for the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, 
speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Father, we invite you now to to lead us, to guide us, that we might understand and interpret and rightly apply the truths of your word to our lives today as your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us a picture. Paul writing to believers in, in Ephesus and by implication of being in God's word, writing to believers in every generation. Paul gives us a glimpse of the church. He gives us a glimpse of the ideal picture of the church. And he wants us to know that the very one who is the central character of this passage is the one who is the architect of the church. He is the designer of the church. It was his idea. And no doubt you have heard of him. His name is Jesus Christ. And so here Paul gives us this picture, this ideal picture of the church and what the, ch- the church looks like as followers of, of Jesus Christ. If you spent any time outside uh, yet this weekend, then you know this was a beautiful weekend. The seasons are changing. Warmer temperatures are in the air. The sun has been shining. Spring is on its way. And when I think of, of spring, I think of Uh, a number of things, but one of the things I think about is one of my favorite hobbies, and that is turkey hunting. Now, I know the moment I say that, uh, several of your uh, ears perk up, others of you sort of uh, stop your ears up and, and immediately tune me out, but bear with me just for a moment, because if I was going to describe, to describe this exciting activity to someone who uh, had never experienced it, knew nothing about it, I would probably say something like this. I would say you wake up really early in the morning and you immediately make a tall cup of coffee and you put it in a thermos uh, so that you can take it with you. Then you cover yourself in camouflage so that you're less likely to be seen. Uh, and if you time things just right, then you even stop at Jack's or Hardy's along the way for a bacon, uh, egg and cheese biscuit to go. But you still get to uh, your destination. You still get to the woods, wherever you're going, before the sun comes up. And so you get out and you uh, begin to enter the woods and you listen as God's creation begins to wake up. You listen as the birds start singing and you listen as the owls start hooting. You listen as the turkeys begin gobbling all around you and the sky begins to break and then you decide which of these turkeys that you are going to pursue. So you inconspicuously begin to head off in that direction and find a place to set up and you start sweet-talking this bad boy until he comes strutting to you and the rest is history. You're home by, say, 8.30 in the morning and before you know it, you're having fried turkey and mashed potatoes uh, and gravy. Now, if that doesn't make you want to go turkey hunting, then it's probably not for you. But I didn't tell you about the mornings that it's hard to get up, to get up because you, you stayed up too late. didn't tell you about the mornings that you go and you don't hear anything. 
didn't tell you about the mornings that you go and maybe you hear one a mile away and you hike over the hills and through the valleys and you finally get to where you think you heard him and it's like he vanished into thin air and then you're thinking, now what? Didn't tell you about the hot days when there are mosquitoes and ticks and even snakes. You see, I painted the ideal picture of something that I enjoy doing. And likewise, here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is painting an ideal picture of the church. And turkey hunting may well not be your thing, but the church is for you. The church exists for the glory of God, but the church is for all of us. And as people who are part of the church, we certainly want to to know what God's design for the church is. We want to pursue His ideal for the church. And the Bible says here that Jesus gave the ministry of the Word to equip us, all of us, to serve the church. Jesus gave the ministry of the Word, this this Word, the Word of God, to equip us to serve the church. See, five gifts are mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. I skipped a line there. So that the body of Christ may be built up uh, to equip his people, to equip the saints, to equip Christians for works of, of service. Now this, this is not every uh, gift that is given to believers. We know that every one who is part of the church has been equipped by God to, to serve in the church for the overall good of the church. But here are several specific gifts that, that are mentioned. And all of these gifts have one thing in common. They are ministries of the Word of God. Some of them are more foundational to the establishment of the church, the prophets and the apostles. Uh, One of them, evangelists, is more focused on taking uh, the message of salvation to the lost. And then pastors and teachers, certainly uh, more involved in guiding and shepherding uh, the local body of, of believers. But all of them have that one thing in common, and that is that they are ministries of of the word. And I think this is significant because I think here in the context of Ephesians 4, which is not just about ministry of the word, it's about a picture of the church and all contributing together to the overall good and growth of the church. I think this is significant because what scripture is saying here, what Paul is communicating here, what God is communicating here through his word is that, that none of our efforts, none of our gifts of service in the life of the church are worthwhile apart from the guidance and the wisdom of God's word. So as people who want to be faithful to God's ideal design for the church, let's expect the word of God to be taught. Let's expect the word to be taught in in the church. Whether that's in here as we gather on Sunday morning or in a Sunday school class, or a small group Bible study, or a youth disciple now weekend, or a children's ministry event, or class, or a community group, let's expect God's Word to be taught. Let's expect it to be proclaimed. Let's expect it to be evident, to be valued, to be recognized as authoritative and from God in every setting. Otherwise, we will never grow to be a healthy and vibrant church that honors the Lord. Let's expect the Word of God to be taught. And secondly, let's come hungry for the Word of God to be taught. 
Let's expect the word to be taught and let's come hungry for the word of God to be taught. Because the reality is solid, good, faithful, biblical teaching is not enough to grow the church. It's not enough to to transform your walk with God or my walk with God. God expects each of us to come and to come eager to hear the message of, of God's word. Expects us to come and to want to see the words of Scripture read and proclaimed and rightly taught in a way that is faithful to the message and glorifies God. And this is not because we have some gifted, charismatic speaker who can hold our attention and occasionally reference uh, the Bible. No, this is because the Word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of, of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse So people of faith in the God of Scripture, as followers of Jesus Christ, let's be what Doug Webster calls salt and light Christians who come and gather with the people of God, eager to hear the Word of God read and proclaimed and taught in a way that glorifies God. Jesus gave the ministry of the Word to equip us, all of us, to serve His church. And secondly, Jesus expects all of us to work together for the growth of His church. Jesus expects all of us who are part of his church to work together for the growth of his church. There's two images that are portrayed in this passage of scripture, both of which, both to which Paul likens the church. First is that of a building. Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Again, verse 16, it says, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up. And the second image is, is that of a maturing man. Verse, verse 13, 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Again in verse 16, from Him, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In other words, the ideal picture of the church that the Word of God gives us is of a a body of believers, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ who are working together, serving together, contributing to the overall good and growth of, of the church. This is something that all of us are called to participate in, not just pastors and staff, or not just Sunday school teachers, or not just uh, committee chair people, or not just deacons. This is something that all participants in the body of Christ are called to contribute to, to, to building something special, to building something grand, to, to building something phenomenal, and that is the local church, body of, of believers. Now, there have been many books and I'm sure articles and other things that are, have been written about church growth. What does it mean and how do we pursue church growth? And as in the case of any subject, some of these are, are very good books and others of them are not so good. In fact, I think too many of them have likened the church to a business that markets a product to a felt need. 
spiritual product, spiritual goods to to those that, that feel the need. And certainly we want to reach more and more and more people in this community and beyond with the good news of salvation by grace through faith in, in Christ. But God doesn't just want us to, to grow in, in breadth. He also wants us to grow in depth, deepening our walk with Him, maturing in faith in Him. So what does healthy church growth look like? And I think we're given four signs of it, four marks of healthy church growth right here from Ephesians chapter 4. And the first is this. It's doctrinal unity and a shared knowledge of Christ. Doctrinal unity and a shared knowledge of Christ. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. If you've been keeping up with uh, the presidential election primaries at all, then, then you know in either or both parties, then you know that two political parties, the two major political parties today are not nearly as united as they were a few years ago. And we're seeing the results of that in, in the election cycle. Two parties that are going through, at least to some extent, I guess, an identity crisis determining what it means to be uh, conservative or what it means to be more progressive or liberal, trying to rally around some sort of common basis or common identity or common belief. And God's Word calls us as the church to, to be united on core components, essential components of our faith, core components of what we believe of our doctrine. It doesn't mean that we're going to believe and agree on everything, certainly. I think that would be impossible. But it does mean that on, on core truths that are non-negotiable and clear in Scripture, that we agree on these things. Things like this book as the inspired and authoritative Word of God that is instructive for our lives as His people. Things like salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. These are things to which we as a church, and certainly as a church that wants to be faithful to, to the picture of church found in Scripture. These are things to which we must have doctrinal unity on and, and a shared knowledge of, of Christ. A shared personal experience and personal knowledge of the one and only Son of God who who rescued us from sin, giving His life in our place that we, that we might have eternal life in Him. Doctrinal unity and a shared knowledge of Christ. Second sign of, of church growth would be a reflection of the character of Christ. A reflection of the character of Christ. Look back at the last half of verse 13. And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, like the one that we are following, reflecting His character, reflecting His standard, reflecting who He is in our thoughts, our attitude, our speech, our actions to others. So do we as God's people, do we as a church reflect the character of Christ to whosoever would come here and join us? To whosoever would come in our presence? Not compromising on God's holy and perfect standard, recognizing that God is a God who takes sin against Him very seriously, so much so that He came and that He died in our place to pay the penalty of our sin, but 
also a God who time and time again in Scripture is characterized as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in, in love. A reflection of the character of Christ. third sign of church growth that we see here is the rejection of false teaching. The rejection of false teaching. So doctrinal unity and a shared knowledge of Christ, a reflection of the character of Christ, and the rejection of false teaching. The reality is that much of the New Testament, letter after letter of the New Testament, warns believers against succumbing to false teaching. And following false teachers. We see it right here in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14. Then as we mature we will no longer be infants. That is spiritual infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And by the cunning and craftiness of people. In their deceitful scheming. In other words the picture is maturing in the faith. Maturing in knowledge of God. So that we're not susceptible to, to false teaching. And the reality, church, is that false teaching is all over the place. Nothing has changed when it comes to false teaching and, and false teachers. I'm not talking about so much right now about Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism. Certainly, if we claim the Scriptures as the Word of God, then we have to reject those things as wrong. But I'm talking about things like the Church of Latter-day Saints and Jehovah's Witnesses and the prosperity gospel and many other twisted forms of the gospel which are really no gospel at all. And so when it comes to recognizing false forms of of teaching and false teaching that errs from the truth often done in the name of the Bible, are often done in the name of Jesus, we must listen just as much for what is not being said, what is not being communicated, as what is being communicated. In other words, is anything added to salvation by grace alone as a requirement for salvation? If so, then we're entering the realm of a perverted gospel. Is sin dealt with? Is sin mentioned at all? If, if not, then... We've strayed from the message of, of Scripture. Is what is being communicated man-centered or is it Christ-centered? Just why is it so important that we proclaim and read and teach the Word of God and memorize and meditate on the Word of God? It's so that we are not susceptible to, to false teaching which is all over the place. Doctrinal unity and a shared knowledge of Christ, a reflection of the character of Christ... The rejection of false teaching and fourth sign of church growth from Ephesians chapter 4 is loving service in the church. Loving service in the church. Look back at verses 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its, its work. In other words, the picture of the church as portrayed in the New Testament is of each part, each member of the church contributing to the overall good and growth of the church, serving the church 
for the glory of God and the growth and benefit of, of one another. Church, Jesus wants us to continually receive his word so that we can work together for growth. Jesus wants us to continually receive his word so we can work together for, for growth. The beautiful picture that is painted here and elsewhere of the New Testament church is of a life together for the glory of God and the growth of one another. Just as in a good marriage, a faithful marriage, a husband and wife recognize that they are each gifts from God to one another. That the design is for them to benefit one another and contribute in various ways to the the good of the home with various responsibilities and, and varied giftedness and acts of of service likewise the picture of the church is of the people who comprise the church who are part of the church benefiting from one another realizing that we are gifts from god to each other to serve the good of the body of believers that we might grow to be healthy followers of jesus christ together That the church may benefit and be a beacon, a light that glorifies God together. Friends, the church is a gift from Jesus Christ. So let's love the church. Let's love the church because Christ loves the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Values the church. He loves his people. This is his design. And because Christ loves the church, let's love his church. And secondly, let's belong to the church. Let's belong to, to the church. Just, this is why we do church membership. Membership matters. Because the picture of the New Testament is of believers gathering together in local expressions of the body of Christ with a vested interest in one another's spiritual well-being and a commitment to work together for the overall good and growth of of the church. So perhaps there are a number of folks that maybe you're a church attender. Maybe you're even involved in church to some extent or another. But let me invite you, let me urge you based upon the Word of God to to belong to the church. To become part of the church officially. Whether that's this local church or another local body of believers that stands upon and proclaims the word of God. Let's belong to the church. Perhaps there are others who who do belong to the church, but practically speaking, you are not contributing to the overall good and growth of the church. If that is you, church, then let let me invite you, let me urge you to serve the church. Let's love the church. Let's belong to the church. And third, thirdly, let's serve the church. Jesus wants us to continually receive his word so we can work together for growth. So are you, friend, are you serving the local body of believers? Are you contributing to the health and the growth of the local church? Are you allowing God to use you faithfully in the building up of His people that we might mutually benefit from from one another? If you have any questions about church membership, about what that looks like here or 
about what it means to serve, to plug into the life of the church. Perhaps you're thinking, yes, I want to serve the church, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that looks like for me. Then know that I or any of our church staff would love to talk to you about that. If you're in a Sunday school group, I'm sure your Sunday school teacher would love to talk with you about that. But let's do these things, church. Let's be folks who love the church. Let's be people who belong to the church. And let's be people who serve the church. Because this is what the one who designed the church, who is the head of the church, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, desires for us to do. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to be the church, to come together as followers of Jesus Christ. Father, to come together in the name of Jesus Christ, to open your word to us, to sing your praises, to fellowship in your name, and then to be sent out on mission for you. Father, we pray that that this time this morning has been glorifying to you, and we pray that you would continue to work in our lives, that we might be led, that we might be prodded by your spirit to to faithfully follow you and to serve in, in your church. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your love for us. Father, hear our praises now as we respond to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.